You're listening to All Things Video, a podcast dedicated to uncovering the past and charting the future of the online video ecosystem. This episode is brought to you by TubeBuddy, the complete toolkit for YouTube channel management. This power-packed browser extension helps with everything from both metadata edits and trending keyword suggestions to thumbnail optimization, fan engagement tools, and so much more. Visit TubeBuddy.com to meet your new best friend on YouTube. You're listening to All Things Video. I'm your host, James Creech, and today's guest is Amber J. Lawson, the CEO of Good Amplified, the world's first MCN dedicated to helping nonprofits through online video. Amber J., welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. Yeah, excited to have you on today. So let's talk about your background a little bit. How did you find your way into the online video space? That's a great question. I found my way into the online video space back in 1999. I was working at Universal Studios at Marvel Comics, uh, which was crazy concept restaurant in CityWalk. One of the waiters I was working with, Brad Bredewig, came to me and said, Amber J, I think this internet thing's going to take off. And I said, you are crazy. No way, Jose. And he said, uh, we had multiple other conversations after mm-hmm. that, obviously, where we created an online original content portal called internetworkstudios.com. And the first show we ever created was called Pop Girl. And it was girls around the, the United States sending in their videotape of them singing and dancing and America voting on them. Now, the problem with that is, Nobody had bandwidth to watch the videos, let alone vote. So we burned through our little seed money that we had. We said, oh, you know what? We'll just make a TV show. What's the big whoop there? We'll make a TV show. So we wrote an hour dramedy. It was called Alex, A-L-Y-X. It was basically, at the time, Britney Spears or Atlantis Morissette, you know, Landis Moore said before she wrote Jagged Little Pill was this pop star in Canada, right? So it's about this pop star who walked away from it all to find herself, right? And then the, all the ramifications of that. And we partnered with Madonna, not the religious figure, but the pop singer, and Gaio Siri and Maverick Records and Melissa Rosenberg, who is the creator and showrunner of Jessica Jones on Netflix. And Marla Sokoloff was our star. And we sold it to ABC Touchstone, Josh Berry, and um, Channing Dungey. It was the script sale heard around the world. Uh, Madonna in TV. Now, that was the time that her Lola and Rocco, she wouldn't allow them to watch TV. So it was the script sale heard around the world. It was also the year that it was Alias and Threat Matrix and all that. So we were a little, always a little ahead of our time. <laughs> and how did the show do? So it never made it. It never, and it didn't even make it to pilot because we were, you know, it was, there was this terrorism thing brewing, obviously, uh, that was part of our culture at the time. And so the idea of a 360 cross platform IRL and uh, in television world just wasn't, it wasn't time yet. We were just a little ahead of our time. And this sounds like it was before the huge sensation of American Idol and even The Voice today, right? Which now leverages online voting and digital media very directly. Yeah. We were just a little ahead of our time. And Miley Cyrus, right? Hannah Montana was exactly that. So what did you do after that show? So, you know, it was kind of, it was the end of the first bubble, first internet bubble. And so we went back to, to traditional producing uh, we produced some films, some independent films, and we sold TV shows. And who knew it was such a lucrative business to just sell stuff that never made it to air? It was a bummer because, and that's why digital is so appealing to me and why when it came back around five years, six years later, that we hopped on that bandwagon quickly is because of the immediate payoff. Like I come from the stage originally. I am a improvisational actor and I like that immediate Ability to have an idea, create it, and put it out and get reaction. And that's what digital media does. That's great. You're right. You get the real-time feedback. And and you talk about the fact that there have been previous boom and bust cycles of online video. (laughs) And I've heard similar stories from folks on the podcast. And it's great that you saw it come back around and jump into it again, right? And you weren't worried or, or feeling like you'd been burdened from the first experience. 
Well, I think I find digital creators, people who are in this space are entrepreneurs by nature. And if, if digital wasn't around, it would be indie filmmaking because it's the same mentality. And I was inspired the first year I went to Sundance was 98. It was 98, 99. It was with Gavin O'Connor. He had a movie, that movie that I just thought was so smart. It didn't underestimate the audience and the intelligence of the audience, which was the first time I'd ever seen a movie like that. That whole spirit of, I have a story I want to tell. I'm going to get a team of people together who want to tell it with me. We're going to find a way to make it so it gets out into the world and we're going to figure out a way to distribute it so other people see it too. And I think that's the same momentum and push and vision that a lot, certainly a lot of the earlier adopters into the digital space have an R. And now it's even easier to do that, right? We've had democratization of access to create, produce, consume, distribute content. It's fantastic. That's why I say, like when I'm talking out in the world and like, just start, like you don't have to ask permission. There aren't gatekeepers anymore. Mm -hmm. And that's an aha moment in the nonprofit space Mm -hmm. as well. There's this perception that they, they can't be storytellers, that they can't create content, that content is expensive. And I say, A, you're a nonprofit. You have so many stories to tell. Of anybody, you're out saving the world in whatever way you save the world. These are powerful, impactful stories and need to be told, need to be shared. And do you have an iPhone? Do you have a smartphone of any kind? Then you are a filmmaker, my friend, that all the tools are available to capture, to edit, and to distribute. And hence, you know, we help them with the distribution of that. So I want to talk about Good Amplified in great detail. But before we get there, let's talk a little bit about your experience before that. And, you know, you had an extensive background in comedy. Well, you you talk about your theatrical performance background and the fact that uh, you've done improvisational theater and comedy in the past. So then you worked at National Lampoon, Media TV, video programming at AOL. What was kind of the through line or thread throughout that whole experience? Well, so I do come from comedy. I have a degree from the University of Missouri in theatrical performance with John Hamm. And uh, I was in Chicago at, at Second City and Improv Olympic with Tina Fey and Amy Poehler and UCB when it was just a show before it ever became a theater. And then moving out here to be a performer. I was nominated for a GLAAD award when I first moved out here. So comedy is always at my core. It's what frankly, I think raises the vibration of the planet, hence why we made Comedy Gives Back. In this process, so in Chicago, the first job I ever got hired for as a professional actor, and I'm using air quotes for those playing at home, uh, was uh, Tony and Tina's wedding. I was the bridesmaid Donna, and I met the director. The director was Jay Leggett. I was soon fired from Tony and Tina's wedding because as luck would have it, I am a strong Italian woman, woman, and they didn't necessarily care for the actual <laughs> strong Italian woman. So, however, in the background, they started to create a show called Tony and Tony's Wedding. It was the gay wedding. And on the Monday night, the dark night of Tony and Tina's, we took over as Tony and Tony's. And I was yet again the bridesmaid, but we had two guys get married. How like progressive and early to the game was that. And and while I was in uh, Chicago, I worked in all the gay clubs. I was a performer in the space. That's how I made a living in Chicago, there and at Sluggers across from Wrigley Field and the Schubert Theater, which was a dream of mine. When I was a kid, I saw cats at that Schubert Theater and I said, that's where I want to be. And so uh, I was working my way to do that. So anyway, my point of telling you that whole story is that Jay Leggett, I met, and at the time he was on In Living Color when Jim Carrey and the, the Waynes brothers were on and, and we created a, a friendship. When I moved out to LA. And what prompted that? Why the Chicago to LA move? Well, I was always on my way to LA. Chicago, thank goodness I went to Chicago. I needed to sow some wild oats. <laughs> And Chicago was a pretty safe place to do that. So I'm glad I got that out of my bones. And it gave me, it was actually really smart. And the person who coerced me, I'm going to say, into coming to Chicago was Melanie Moore, 
Melanie Paxson now. She's the fairy godmother in the Descendants movies. Um, you've seen her on a, in a million movies and a million commercials. She was my next door neighbor in college. And we would perform together and do ridiculous things. She's like, no, we have to go to Chicago. And we used to, in college, drive from Missouri to Chicago to Second City to see the free improv set. So on Friday or and Saturday nights, they would have a free, anybody could come sit in the back and watch. And so we went and watched Steve Carell perform at Second City in the improv set. Bringing that all back around, mm-hmm. uh, Jay Leggett and I have became friends. When moving out to L.A., a lot of the Chicago people, they either went to New York or L.A. And I knew New York would kill me. So I moved to L.A., which was the right choice for me. Um, so I had an instant family when I got here. And over time, Jay and I kept wor- trying to work together, whether it was on a movie or concepts or putting shows together. We created a show called Comedy Cocktail. And Comedy Cocktail happened once a month at Hollywood and Highland. At, there was a club. It's not there anymore. Called the Highlands. And we would take over the early slot on the Friday, one Friday night a month. And it was Kim Evie and Greg Benson. It was uh, mail order comedy. So they became kind of our house team mail order comedy. We worked with them and started developing with them and shot the pilot for what became workaholics. So we were developing content that was either stage or video, a lot of those first viral videos were featured in our show, were came out of our show, and we were nurturing this bevy of up-and-coming talent. It was Jillian Bell, it was Adam Devine, it was you name it. And it became before Funnier Die really kind of got its legs, it was the farm team where um, the talent scouts would come. It'd be agents, it would be casting directors, it would be the networks scouting for who the next talent was that they were going to pick up. And in the midst of that, we did it for two, three years. In the midst of that, Super Deluxe, Dan Pasternak was head of programming for Super Deluxe. They had moved them to Atlanta, to the TBS hub. So we did a big deal with Super Deluxe that frankly kept the comedy community fed for two or three years because they were giving, you know, it was like anywhere from five to 10,000 bucks a video. They, they came out of super deluxe, right? Mm-hmm. They build their audience. It was kind of the first real iteration of like building an audience, having a relationship with your audience. It was our first taste at it. That had to have been in 2006. And, and a lot of these comics were not only performing these live shows, but producing a lot of digital content. So, yeah. So then we had these deals with Super Deluxe where we were able to finally pay these kids to create the videos, to fund the content and to try stuff out. And some was awful and some were amazing. And it was, I am not kidding when I say Dan Pasternak and Super Deluxe kept the comedy community alive for a chunk of time. And, and this was the first iteration of Super Deluxe. Correct. Mm-hmm. Now it's just come back. Exactly. So what's the backstory there? Well, again, you know, too early, right? It was, there wasn't, there wasn't really online monetization yet. Like, are people going to pay a subscription yet? Are speeds fast enough yet? I think, again, well, it was Well, the mobile phone too- hadn't really proliferated right? like it has today. So we people have, have a lot more time and screens to view this content on. Exactly. So just... At the bleeding edge, the bleeding edge, yeah. you take the swords, you know, <laughs> but really paving the way mm-hmm. for the evolution of content mm-hmm. today. So that was Comedy Cocktail. You also alluded to Comedy Gives Back, yes. which was the 24-hour live stream that you launched in October 2011. So what inspired that live stream? So that out of, I mean, again, you know, comedy has always been a, a through line in my life. And When I left AOL, you know, that was a big aha moment for me. What are we doing this for? What's the end game? You know, okay, so you have a roof over your head. You can eat. We have this awesome job. We get to do, we get to create awesome content, really cool content. 
We get to do brand deals and really evolve that space and storytelling across platforms. What are we winning with that? You know, what's the end game? I said, well, I don't want to not do that. I want to keep creating, but what if we could create content, create stories across platforms that actually had an impact on the planet, that could help people, that could change people's lives? And so kind of the first iteration of that, I went to two of my best friends, Zoe Friedman and Jody Lieberman, and I said, I, I want to do comedy and I want to do it on a global scale and I want to disrupt and tell stories um, that benefit different organizations, right? And so we concocted this format of Comedy Gives Back, a 24-hour global digital telethon across platforms that raises money for different charities with the goal to raise the vibration of the planet through laughter. 2011, we beta tested it. 2013, we partnered with Daily Motion and we did 24 hours uh, around the globe. We got nominated for the Emmy for that, which was really uh, surprising and we were very grateful for that. And all the support we had... I want to say 80 comics participate and, and, you know, we hubbed out of what's trending studios in Hollywood and Falula came by and uh, Shay Carl full screen did a block. IFC was a partner. We did a comedy bang, bang block. Zach Galifianakis came by. Then we went to London and we did a show in Piccadilly Square in London. And then we came back and we did another uh, group. Oh, Rona and Beverly came out. Uh, Shira did a morning show. We had a band, Greg Barrett, the guy who is, he's just not that into you. He has a band. They were our house band all day. It was insane, awesome, great. And then here's an interesting little tidbit. Then TV came a sniffing. So we did a deal with a television network. And the reason we haven't done another 24-hour cross-platform extravaganza yet is because of television. It so they, it down. they bought the rights and they want to, they're planning to do some programming on TV around this. Would that have a digital component as well? Or have oh, they yes. precluded you from doing anything until they launched the TV version? No. So in the, we always do a show in Montreal. We have, we, you know, we still have you know, local, national and global shows. Our big global events, however, <laughs> has taken longer than I would have liked because of the television component. Sure. Well, it sounds like you have some phenomenal comics, and it's also, of course, having a tremendous impact and supporting a lot of great causes. What are some of the nonprofits that you've raised money for through Comedy Gives Back? So we our big uh, show was for Malaria No More. Joel Goldman, who's now at the Elizabeth Taylor AIDS Foundation, uh, he's just been a really a leader in this entertainment space between. Uh, celebrities and causes and really just out of the box thinker. So he was the one that, that really made that happen. Our first one in 2011 was off the mat into the world. So it was this yoga kind of any, they support any crisis that could bubble up. So like Haiti or, you know, anything that kind of happens, they support. And then we do hope and cope every year in um, Montreal And then our next one, which is set to come out in 2017, hasn't been announced yet. We're figuring out who we're going to partner with. How do the people who are listening find out more about Comedy Gives Back and the next generation of the show? Well, follow Amber J. Lawson or Comedy Gives Back on Twitter. Mm -hmm. We're active there as well as ComedyGivesBack.com. And let's talk a little bit more about the great work that you're doing every day now with Good Amplified. What inspired you to launch uh, a total kind of business focused on helping nonprofits harness the power of online video? Hallelujah and amen. Comedy Gives Back was and is one of my passions. And I worked hard to figure out a business model that Comedy Gives Back could become. And what I came to is that it was a event and it just didn't want to be anything beyond an event. And so when I kind of realized that, I was like, look, I don't like, yes, I'm going to, I love this event. We're going to keep doing this event. We're growing this event. And how do I do good on a daily basis? How can I use my talents and skills to 
amplify <laughs> the good that's already happening, the work that folks are already doing out in the world, taking pieces that already exist and helping them take it to the next level. And really, I also was having this like ruminating on how do you make mailbox money? But how, like, how could you make mailbox money for good? And I was like, oh, there's this thing called YouTube. And it's the second largest search engine on the planet, owned by the number one. And of the 1.8 million nonprofits that are in the United States alone, 15% are on YouTube already. So there's a group of underserved community that, and I say underserved because really 99.9% of them are under 100,000 subscribers. And of that, 99.8% are under 5,000 subscribers. And they are using uh, YouTube as a library. They're out saving the world. So they don't have that expertise. They don't necessarily have that in-house. And we could come in and help them take the content that they already have, the stories they already have, and the supporters they already have to the next level, as well as you know, 85% of millennials are on YouTube. If you're looking to work with millennials or start a relationship with millennials or Gen Z, you better kind of hang out where they're hanging out. No, I mean, it totally makes sense. I think you identified a huge need in the fact that we have this huge platform where audience already exists. And we have, you know, people who are producing content that can reach that audience, but they don't have the time or the expertise to connect those dots. And here you have a set of skills and the relationships to, to put those pieces together. But beyond that, there's a tremendous power in the fact that nonprofits have amazing stories to tell. We talked a little bit about this before we jumped on the, on the show, but the fact that YouTube is such a phenomenal storytelling platform and an engine to share those tales and the great work that these nonprofits are doing with their, their consumers. Well, and I think the engine is the key part and they, they forget about that. So I kind of the aha moment for a lot of organizations is what do you do when you look for something today? Oh, you Google it. Well, guess what? If you're not showing up in search, you kind of just don't exist. And if you're a cancer organization, why don't you have how to determine if I have cancer or what are can Why aren't you the expert in cancer? So when I Google a how-to video, you better be the one that comes up. You're the expert and you can help me. You can help me navigate whatever experience that may be, you know, whether it is homelessness or um, food deprived or um, any disease. You know, um, a friend of mine, his daughter was diagnosed with a rare disease. He Googled it and he couldn't find any information. And there was an organization not even five blocks away from him. That's where they go. Oh, this is in delivering my mission. Whereas before, I think they think it was a, a nice to have you know, maybe we'll get to it someday, which means never, mm-hmm. you know, but how it is key in not only their marketing, but their development, which is their, their money making. And we are coming up on that money making time right now, which is imminent. Yeah, I think you're right. There was this trend that brands had a hard time figuring out YouTube early on, right? YouTube comes out 2005, 2006. And brands don't aggressively get on the platform until 8, 9, 10, right? But you see almost the reverse trend on Facebook and Twitter and other social platforms where it's easy if you're a brand to say, oh, I can post content. I see a way to connect with my fans here on these social sites. It's harder for me to produce video, right? And if you are a nonprofit with limited resources and a checklist of things to do a million miles long, I can see why it would be very difficult to make creating video content and and engaging with that audience there not the top priority, so how do you convince them, as you said, that this should be a priority and how do they, how do they invest the time and the resources to producing that video content? So it is a big concern of theirs. They have this note, preconceived notion that creating content is something they don't have a skill set for and that it's going to cost a lot of money and take a lot of manpower. And I really, we start breaking down, okay, so do you have a gala every year? Is there a celebrity at that gala? Do you do a red carpet? Okay, there's content for a month. And then I go, okay, well, so your mission is um, to help underserved community kids in high school to graduate from college. 
are there stories to tell in that? Like where they come from, where they came from, their outcomes, what they like, what inspires them? What if there's just a video diary of one of them or you do um, sound bites of what they would change in the world? Okay, you can do that on your iPhone. Grab it here and and we'll give you a tutorial on how to shoot. And by the way, it doesn't need to be this ritzy glitzy production quality. It's YouTube. People want to see the true faces of the people you're helping. And that's a real aha moment for them as well is I say, you know, don't polish this. Your PSA is lovely if you're sending it out on television. And there are PSAs that are super effective, like the Everyone Loves, Love is Love campaign, you know, from the um, Ad Council, which is so powerful and so lovely and works on every platform. I think they have 50 million views on that. Like, it's amazing. Not every PSA is that effective and that effective on YouTube. I find that more content that is authentic, that is frankly a little gritty resonates that much more with people because it's real. There isn't a filter on on it and um, people can engage with it more. And then obviously the third bucket is how to, how to register to get into college, how to get in your AP, how to ask your teacher, how to help you navigate applications. You know, how to is the backbone of YouTube. So these are the easiest things. So one of the organizations we work with is Found Animals, Michelson's Found Animal. A reliable Wi-Fi connection is as vital as your wallet. With Skyro, you won't be trapped in a cafe or wander for Wi-Fi again. For work or fun, the Solus 4G LTE Wi-Fi hotspot has you covered with fast Wi-Fi across the U.S. and in 130 countries. And with its built-in power bank, devices stay charged on the go. Get data by the day, month, or gig. No contracts. Go to skyroam.com slash techpod to save 20% off a of Solus with code techpod20. Business Insider calls it a must-have travel gadget. Visit skyroam.com slash techpod. Offer code techpod20. And we just went and shot like 12 how-to videos, how to um, introduce two dogs. Guess what? This weekend, I need to introduce two dogs. I don't want them to eat each other, <laughs> right? Like how to trim your dog's nails. Mm-hmm. Like these are things that we Google and you better be the one that pops up. Mm-hmm. What a missed opportunity to not, and say, if you found this video useful, donate two bucks. Mm-hmm. Donate five bucks. You're like, oh, that what? Thank you. I don't have to go to Petco or wherever to get my toenails trimmed. I You just saved me 20 bucks. Here you go. Yeah, exactly. So it's a lot faster probably than getting the information in other ways. And it gives people a chance to give back where they feel like they're part of the part of the experience. Well, And you're bringing value, right? At the end of the day, like storytelling content, like when you are uh, dispersing your social media, when you're sharing your stories, I always say, that's great. You want to promote your book or your whatever you're promoting, no matter if you're a nonprofit or, or just a human. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, like, I think it's so important to bring value to your followers. So bringing them a how-to, bringing them insights from the industry, whatever that may be, oh yeah, and buy my thing or or donate to our organization becomes, oh, well, I get a lot of value out of this. This is a part of my my channel selection, if you will, where I get my content from and I will give back. It's kind of like, you know, NPR. Are you finding, is this valuable to you? Well, then pay for it, right? Show your love by money. Make sure that we keep our lights on Mm -hmm. to continue to bring you this Mm -hmm. content. We've seen a trend in the recent decade of more businesses shifting to, in some cases, a social commerce model. Mm -hmm. And now you've also talked about this interesting concept where you can attach a celebrity and a brand with a nonprofit and put together a really interesting event or experience or business model. So that seems like a great way for the celebrities and brands to show and express what they care about while also supporting nonprofits. They must do that now. We live in a time where if you are not associated with some sort of giving back that is organic and true to you as a brand, you are potentially dying out, a dying business, because it there is no excuse. And it's not just like a nice thing to do. It's 
business. It's millennials choose a product that has a pro-social plan, expression, give back ideology that is forward facing than another brand of like value, right? Of like quality. Why would you not do that? It's a differentiator in a lot of fields, but it's it's a must do in business. No, that's absolutely true. And the other thing that I really like about Good Amplified is that you've identified a way to take leverage and apply that to existing people who are helping others in the world, right? So you didn't go out and, and try to create your own nonprofit. You started a business that serves other nonprofits, right? And amplifies the impact. And we keep using that word, finding that leverage point to help them do a better job at what the people they're already serving. It's interesting that you say that because one of kind of the early thoughts we had was we were going to help influencers, creators create foundations that would be their namesake, that would emulate the what they care about, whatever that may be, and that they would start a channel in that. And that that would be another layer of the good amplified network. And in our stealth mode of like talking to all the nonprofits and, you know, just experts in the nonprofit space, they implored us to not do that Mm. because there are so many nonprofits that are struggling financially It's a constant cycle for nonprofits in their fundraising. And there is such a kind of stigma that nonprofits have to live up to around how they spend their money, which is frankly hurtful to the growth of the organization. So in imploring celebrities or creators to not form a foundation, but to partner with an existing organization, to lend their influence, to lend their audience and their their distribution in a way that can impact and grow something that they already care about. And let me tell you something, running a nonprofit is not easy. No way. And keeping the standards of a well-functioning 501c3 and the staff it takes and the money it takes just for the corporate running of the business is just a waste of money to re to start that from scratch. Mm-hmm. Like I've talked to several very influential influencers <laughs> about that. You know, they're like, Oh, you know, we're thinking about this. And I was like, listen, half of your money then just goes to creating this versus what if it, what if it actually had the impact you want in the world? Mm-hmm. And you it's can, a full-time job, as you said, right? It's like another full-time job. Mm-hmm. So don't think that you can continue creating the content at the pace and, oh, you want to create a whole nother channel of content. It's a lot. And not that, you know, some people that may be the right choice for them, but it, it was very, it was a good perspective from the nonprofit space to say, hey, you know, like really your power in keeping organizations alive and, and lifting them up will will actually do more good in the world. So on a day-to-day basis, what the work that you're doing at Good Amplify, how are you helping these nonprofits? So, well, I mean, we are optimizing their channels. We are working with them on their content strategy. We have weird, crazy opportunities come our way all the time. One of the focuses in, in looking to really scale the business is aligning with brands, aligning with pipelines of cash that can fund the storytelling, that can help them amplify this message, that can be on multiple platforms, that can go beyond. So like when a influencer or a brand wants to run a campaign, that it's across all platforms, that it's also driving into their YouTube channel. Another kind of interesting reverse side of it is, you know, Make-A-Wish was one of the first channels in our network and they have over 65,000, maybe 67,000 subscribers at this point. And, you know, they have the Macy's Believe campaign, which is about to start. And last year when we were getting ready for that, we went and looked at the time their channel had 30,000 subscribers and Macy's had 15,000 subscribers. And all of a sudden, Make-A-Wish was the influencer And was, of course, the platform that they released and distributed their videos off of versus you would think would be 
the opposite or the reverse. And now at 65,000 subscribers, they're an influencer among influencers, right? And I think that's reassuring and it helps creators who are looking to dip their toe in or start this relationship to jump in a little more that they don't feel like they're carrying this solely on their backs, but they're part of a movement and they, that they're, that they're um, lending their uh, special sauce to, to a, a recipe that's already swirling and starting to bake out in the world. I don't know why I'm talking about food. Is it lunchtime? <laughs> <laughs> but you're keeping everybody focused on their sweet spot, right? The influencers can contribute in the, the place where they know the most. The nonprofits obviously have a current operation and the skills to serve their mission. And brands have a need to reach an audience and show that they care about these causes that they want to promote, they want to support. Exactly. So what does the future hold for Good Amplified? What's next? Well, world domination for good. And in this day and time, we need it. Um, you know, in uncertain, you know, flipping of political landscapes, there's a lot of concern out in the world. You know, a lot of these organizations rely on the government to fund them. And why it's so important to build your own revenue streams that can sustain you in potentially, you know, up and down times, as well as when the market fluctuates and people aren't giving as much, you know, they have to, it ebbs and flows through history, right? It's not like something new, but that they have a sustainable business that they think of themselves as a business and, and are able to sustain through those rough times. What is the hardest part in your experience of being an entrepreneur? In all of the ventures that you've had, whether that's, you know, starting an event like Comedy Gives Back, starting a business like Good Amplified, and even earlier in your career when you were, you know, working in TV projects. The hardest part of being an entrepreneur, I think, is, I want to say staying motivated, but I don't think it's ever, like, I think it's more getting lonely, right? When you are evolving an idea and, you know, the, the headspace that you need in order to uh, grow it and bounce it off of various people and then to go build it, it can be very lonely when you don't have a team in place. And I really appreciate and put, like that is my mantra is like team, great team, great building, amazing teams, build amazing businesses. You know, when you're starting something, you don't always have teams and there isn't always, you know, funds and or a direction quite yet to do it. So it can get, you know, lonely and isolating. And I think that's, that can be the hardest part. What I love about being an entrepreneur and why I continually am doing this to myself. And I do think it like, yeah, it may be sexy to be an entrepreneur now, but it's not for everyone. And, and I don't think everyone should like, there's nothing wrong with it. I had that kind of aha moment about my mother. I took the landmark forum when I moved here years ago. And I was like, I was like, mom, the world, you can do whatever you want. You know what I mean? And she was like, no, I I know this piece over here. Right. And I, it was aha, like my mom being in that piece enables me to be in this piece and to be in the world in a big way. And everybody has their role to play and where they want to play and anything is possible and you can go any way you want. But for me, it has always been wide open, right? And that anything is possible. Like you dream it, you believe it, you can do it. And I am grateful for that because it'll, yes, I work around the clock. A lot of times from my bed, you know, yeah, I wake up at 5 a.m., but I don't, you know, I can also take a nap at three and then I can be out until 11 o'clock at night. And, you know, it, it takes that kind of flexibility, I think, to really pull vision into reality and create a real business. Was there any specific advice or books or anything else that inspired you along that path? I don't read anything. I watch the video or <laughs> books on tape. Mm-hmm. Can listen to podcasts. And listen, to, <laughs> and listen to podcasts. There you go. That's a great podcast you are listening to right now. Uh, I'm pulling up my library right now. I'm listening to Bold. It's about exponential, like business mm-hmm. growing. It's very with the spiritual bend to it, which I like. Girl Boss, obviously. Um, the Four Hour Work Week. 
Classic. You know what I appreciate about that? I like alternate thinking Mm -hmm. and ways to be efficient. And I used to have the mentality of you have to work 24 7, 365. Mm -hmm. And as I mature, I find that that's not always the most effective way to work. And I can be much more focused and efficient and successful in shorter spurts. And by, by then going out in the world and, and expressing, seeing, interacting that I am enriching even the, then coming back to intense work sessions. Yeah. For me, I found that the four hour work week was not so much a blueprint of how to model your life, but a chance or an inspiration to ask the right questions and critically think through, am I doing this in the best way possible? Not just, you know, in the shortest time, but getting the most value and locking the most potential out of it. Getting the most value out of it. Exactly. Yes. Leveraging all of our digital tools in a way. I mean, we have all these tools out there to help us. And now I have a hundred digital tools that I can't keep up with. What's coming next? If you had to predict three things for the online video space, what do you see? Well, the first things first is Giving Tuesday is coming up. And so mm-hmm. that is a very uh, big, well, it's a temple moment in the nonprofit space. And it's something that our community should be very aware of. I mean, I'm, I'm sure a lot of people are aware of it. It's very social media driven, mm-hmm. but it kicks off giving season. And this is the most important time of the year for nonprofits. This is where they make the bulk of their money. And as a creator, as a brand, as a publisher, it's a great opportunity to align and and take care of the causes you actually care about or are passionate about in order to make a difference. If there is a cause that you are passionate about, please invest in them in creating content, but not just creating the content, creating the distribution. I find more times than not, people spend a chunk of money on creating beautiful content that nobody ever sees. Mm -hmm. And our big push is the distribution of that Mm -hmm. is the connecting with the audience, connecting with that next generation of donor, volunteer, or advocate, and building that relationship over time. And we always say converting them into subscribers is the donor retention program of the future. Because if in marketing, it takes five five to seven you know, touch points for someone to convert, and anyone who's subscribed, obviously, anytime you upload a video, you're alerted in your digest, right? So here is your new email blast through content, through storytelling. And another thing I like, hallelujah, touchdown pass is, who was I talking to the other day? I, you know, oh, I know it was um, the lymphoma organization. They have all these videos they got produced. They're so excited about it. And they're like, okay, they're all going to, we're all, we're going to get them all on um, whatever date. And I was like, Whatever you do, don't upload them all at the same time. Like leverage them, roll them out over time. Let them work for you. Let your content breathe. Let it get picked up. Let Mm -hmm. it find its way, you know. Um, And then build that programming experience so that a viewer comes back and watches multiple pieces of content and converts to a subscriber and doesn't just disappear back into the YouTube or the Facebook or the Twitter algorithm. Well, and that's the whole thing, you know, but being in our network, we optimize their channels. Of course. And we are uh, creating that lean back programming, that 360 experience so that they're never pushed off of YouTube into the recommendation engine, but pushed into um, cards and playlists and calls to action that get them staying on the channel and engaging and whether that's subscribing or donating or whatever their thing is. Yeah. That's a huge point because we're all trained and we've all heard that content is king, but I've heard other people say that distribution is God. So so both are critically important, but never forget about the distribution. So religious. That's right. (laughs) But I I love the, the initial point that you mentioned, which is, look, we're coming up on Thanksgiving and there are two critical parts of that word, right? There's gratitude And there's also the ability to express that gratitude through giving and through contribution, right? And that can be giving of your time, giving of your your financial resources, and giving of your support, even on social, right, of these nonprofits that you care about. So I would encourage everyone just like you to take advantage of the holiday season uh, leading up, you know, to to December as well of all of the the great things that we have and uh, appreciating that and, and expressing that through the opportunity to give. 
Yeah. Amen. <laughs> so, so what else? If you if you had other predictions for what nonprofits are going to do, do you see more trends towards nonprofits realizing the power of video and realizing the power of digital media? So, what's fascinating in you know it's our year anniversary since we announced Congratulations. last November. Thank you. But we were in stealth mode before that, and what we found is the beefing up of these digital networks. We find that. Most organizations have a strong presence on Twitter and Facebook. They do not understand Snapchat or some do Instagram well, but mostly Facebook, frankly. It's because they know how to use it because they use it every day. The pay to play on Facebook, even for nonprofits, is eye-opening. However, you know, Facebook just launched Facebook Live Donates. So you can donate inside of your Facebook live streams. So that's cool. And we're going to start messing around with that. We'll probably start messing around with that with Comedy Gives Back. Wink, wink. (laughs) And Comedy Gives Back was founded on live and um, live streaming and was a little ahead of its curve on that. And I do find more organizations leveraging live as part of their strategy. Now, that doesn't work for every organization, but so we broke the internet on election night for found animals. We had kittens casting their votes in the litter box. And that was a three hour live stream that I think we ended up getting 50 million impressions out of it. I mean, I think it was a, you know, it is an effective tool for nonprofits and they're using it more and more. So live and yeah, I think the adoption, well, the big buzzword in nonprofits is influencers. They have been told that that just like it, it used to be celebrities, right? And now they understand there's these new celebrities called creators or influencers that if they get one, if I can go catch one, uh, that all my problems will be solved. That's all good and fine in theory. But again, Nothing works if it's not organic. Certainly not in in this influencer creator sphere there is today. If if an influencer isn't organically aligned with something, it just doesn't resonate for their audience or for the nonprofit's audience. So I, I think that you have to be careful about that. And then the second piece is, is an influencer in choosing to work with an organization, it would behoove them to make sure that they are tapped in to whatever platform that influencer is coming on on from, right? So if they're a YouTuber, that 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 organization is prepared to receive and convert the eyeballs that that the influencer is bringing to them. And that's our biggest thing is making sure they're ready to receive should they get this windfall of attention and that they're converting them into subscribers. Like you really don't hand out in your first interaction with somebody. You say, oh, so nice to meet you. Can you give me five bucks? And you're like, um, I mean, maybe, <laughs> but like, hey, it's really nice to meet you. This is what we're about. This is who I am. Hey, let's hang out. Like, hey, check out my, this is what we're doing kind of thing. And then they come, maybe you can get them to subscribe. Mm-hmm. And then you put out some content. And then over time, they're yep. like, oh, you know, I, I, this is impactful in my life or thank you for the work you do and they convert. And that is the, the goal. And, and when you have a partnership with a creator that that is flowing in and that it is converting for them, that's going to help that organization building their audience, which creators understand and know. So it's the same theory holds true for that nonprofit. Yeah. Yeah. We've seen that play out time and time again. And that was in large part, a lot of the driving force and thinking behind the creation of MCNs is that influence begets influence. And if you can find ways to create collaborations and help large influencers reach down and, and pull up uh, up and coming talent, that's a great model. And so we certainly see that in the nonprofit space. And it sounds like you are encouraging both the creators and the nonprofits in these partnerships to think long-term, right? It's not just about how do we do one campaign and raise money? How do we think about converting someone to a follower, a subscriber, someone who will engage with the brand long-term, which can drive monetization value from the content we put out, but also lead to donations down the road. I couldn't agree more. You know, it is a YouTube strategy isn't an overnight, like, oh, we're going to make a viral video and then we're going to have a million, bazillion views and everybody's going to come watch our video and become subscribers. That would be amazing if that happened, but really 9.9 times out of 10, it's the long game. Mm -hmm. And yes, if a creator or influencer is so compelled to partner long-term, 
that is the best case scenario. But I even, I even say like, dip your toe in. That's okay. Like, see if this is right for you. See if it, we did it at South by Southwest. We did, um, we partnered with Studio 71. We, and J. Walter Thompson and Mashable and Good Amplified. We did Donate the Bars. Monica Church, who now I do so many projects with, she partnered with us. She created a video for Wounded Warriors. It was, she told a personal story, a vlog, personal story about a friend of hers. It was, if on a normal video, we're happy with a, say, 2 to 3% engagement, these videos got 14 to 16% engagement. Wow. And so from an influencer point of view, it serves you to align with the cause. It just engages your audience that much more deeply and they appreciate it. So it's a win, win, win. And if you're not already aligned with organizations or figuring out ways to give back, call me. Uh, <laughs> we'll help partner people with, with organizations that they're passionate about. Now, obviously, you are right in the middle of building Good Amplified and doing such incredible work. But if you were starting a business in the online video space today, what would you do? I mean, it's pretty saturated at this point. What I found interesting on your last podcast with Jocelyn Johnson was almost the MCN of OTT, the bundling of OTT. I, th- I found that fascinating. So that might be a business that that uh, bubbles up. It's fascinating to see musically and lively exploding. You know, I would say hop on a platform that's exploding and build. I mean, I think that's the only way to build an audience if you're in Missouri. How to stand out, find a way to be unique, be a newcomer, be an early player on a a big platform that has potential. And who knows what that is, right? Mm -hmm. Like there have been so many that have come and gone. Yeah, true. Even just a few weeks ago, right? With Vine being shut down. That's sad. It's real sad. It's hard. It's tough for the industry. Yeah. That's part Uh, of the natural cycle, right? Of these platforms. I mean, it happens. We go through these cycles all the time. We go through the uh, coming up of various organizations. They become behemoths, which they are now. They all get acquired. And then, you know, people break off and start building new things. And so we're very much in acquisition mode right now. There's so many companies being rolled into traditional and big, big, I mean, there's big behemoth alliances being formed that are like terrifying. I hope they're good. And then, you know, we'll have a new crop of, of new, whatever that we have no idea that we needed that we are not going to be able to live without. So Amber J, where can people find out more about you and more about Get Amplified? Well, I'm everywhere. You can find out about me on uh, Twitter and LinkedIn and Good Amplified. You can come to our YouTube channel. You can come to goodamplified.com or follow us on Twitter. Well, this has been so much fun. And (laughs) before we go, I want to encourage people one more time, just a reminder that, you know, with the holidays coming up, you have a chance to give. And as Amber Jade pointed out, that um, Giving Tuesday following Cyber Monday is a great chance to do that. So mark that on your calendars. And one more time, thanks again for sharing your experience and just all of the great work that Good Amplified is doing today. I'm a big supporter and I hope people will reach out to learn more and and find ways that they can contribute as well. Well, thank you. Thank you for taking the time to have this conversation. I think it's super important for people to figure out ways that they can give back and give back in a way that you're passionate about. So thank you. Thanks for tuning in. I'm James Creech, and this has been another edition of All Things Video. If you like what you hear, We hope you'll share and subscribe for new episodes. See you next time.